0: This is our disclaimer. The statements made and opinions expressed during this podcast are our own personal statements and opinions and should not be construed as those of any entity or institution that we may have been employed by or affiliated with at any time in our professional lives. Additionally, we take patient confidentiality incredibly seriously. For that reason, any reference to stories about patients have purposely been modified so as to not identify any particular patient or location. Finally, while we are both doctors, nothing that we say in this podcast should be construed as medical advice. If you are in need of medical advice, please contact your personal physician. Remember that although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Thank you.
1: (laughs) What's up, Cullen?
0: Hey. How are you doing, Raj?
1: I'm doing good, man. Good to see you. Good to see you. Welcome, everybody. ER Docs, Crucial Talks. I'm Raj. I'm Cullen. Welcome, guys. What are we doing uh, here? Well, so we should we uh, should welcome our new listeners. We're gonna get I some agree. new listeners, right? I agree, and 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 thank you all for tuning in. Our new listeners are probably not aware of what we're doing this for and how this got started. But in brief, during COVID, uh, you and I were a couple of ER docs. We trained together. We've been friends since then. It's been a long time, probably over ten years. And we decided that through mutual friends that observed our just fireside chats over Zoom as we hunker down and you know, lock down, that maybe we ought to record some of these conversations that we've had. And some of the conversations just kind of led to things of introspection, self-improvement, just rethinking how we think about the world uh, to steal Shane Parrish's uh, concept. And here we are, what, three years later, man. Um, this has been three years? Almost three years. Lots of downloads, wow. uh, tens of thousands of downloads. Really appreciate all the input from everybody and the growth. And uh our we've we've really kind of kind of honed in on sort of our sweet spot for our podcast, right? Initially we we're kind of like kind of in the wind, kind of trying to figure out where we belong in mm-hmm. this whole podcast world. And you know, that here we are kind of focusing in on some of the things that matter to us and matter to people we care about and hopefully matter to our listeners. So that's that's where we're at, man. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, hearing us ramble uh might get hold of some people, maybe not. <laughs> But uh, I know that we I know that we've both kind of grown as people yeah. by doing this because you know we've had some really interesting guests who have taught yeah. us a lot of things. Right. It leads us to think about what we say and how we act, and you know, improve ourselves. And uh, I think a lot of that's you. You push a lot of these topics, and those topics are really cause us both to. Kind of look at our lives and see how we can improve them. So I think it's been really great. Hopefully, it's been you know good for other folks too. Absolutely, and uh, we've really enjoyed it, and we're going to continue to do it.
1: It's it's been a great journey, and I and the privilege is mine working with you because um, I I just just end with this. I feel like uh, you made a comment once about kind of like the top people in your life that are transformative, and of of course I include you as one of those people, and so it's mutual, man. So I appreciate it. So without further ado, I am really intrigued and excited to talk to you about your latest adventure and you know for those who don't know Colin or some of you that that do through the podcast um and I've been on an adventure trip with him to the Grand Canyon last year but he tends to go on these trips annually uh with a couple or one close friend to places like uh Central America or uh, you you've been to uh, what Africa you've been to thirty countries right 31 thirty one different countries yeah thirty, 30 some countries now uh-huh. I can't even count anymore, but the most recent was right here at home, United States. He went to Yosemite National Park, and I want to ask you about this trip for a couple of reasons, one because you called me from when you summited. And mm-hmm. called me on Face uh, FaceTime, and it was cool because I was just sitting down to write a chart. And you don't know this, but we were getting ready to intubate somebody, intubate, put them on life support. And but I knew that you were up there, so I, I knew kind of you were starting this hike, and that you were going to call me because you always call me when you summit, which is really cool. And um, it, it's always kind of dicey connection when you're up there at altitude. But I sat down and I just kind of propped my phone up because man, if he calls, he calls. You called. It was ironic. I was just thinking about it and talked to you and Deepak and you had this great thing to tell me like other than just summiting you just like, and then I uh, uh, felt, uh, and it was like, Oh, and, and I couldn't hear any of it. And uh, then I, oh, through text, I kind of knew that something had happened. Um, mm. And that you, had, so, I, I think so I to this day, I don't know the story. So I'm, I'm glad to oh, find wow. here. but I knew I it was, but then we talked about over text, some of this uh, without still knowing what exactly happened. So, it brought us this concept concept of fear, and how I wanted to talk about fear as something we've not brought up yet. And so, fundamentally, you and I we were talking about you know fear and like what is it biologically? Let's start out with that. Um, we were kind of picking the internet for some of this stuff. Do you want to get mm-hmm. into that just a little bit, Colin? Like you're a doctor. If a person asks you as a doctor, what is fear? What 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 is where does it start? So fear
0: is something that we feel right and it's something that starts in our brain and it starts in the towards the middle of our brain kind of our older part of our brain um, and it involves technically areas called the hypothalamus, the amygdala it has some interplay with our frontal cortex as well um, and our sensory cortex but basically it's a evolutionary you know protective factor where when something, you know, say you're you're scared, and for history, uh our species, right, has been scared of things eating them at night, predators coming out oh, and yeah. yeah. eating. Yeah. So what happens? Like we're scared of the dark at a certain point in our lives. And mm. uh sometimes still, like you're still scared <laughs> that you know, when you walk by that closet at night, that something might be in there. Like I still like, and you know there's not, and you know, we have I still haven't called just a little bit of a yep, fear extinction where after a time you learn not to be scared of that but naturally we are scared of a lot of things and we express fear. Uh, and what happens with fear is you launch the fight or flight mechanism, right? So you get an adrenaline release, uh, you get cortisol release, and So what happens is you reach this state of arousal. So where you are ready to f- fight or run. Right. And so, um, and then some of this is just a reflex, like mm-hmm. the startling reflex, right? Mm-hmm. Like someone scares you and you mm-hmm. you jump. You have no control over that to mm-hmm. a certain degree. Um, and all these things happen very quickly. And what can happen over time is that you can have uh, an anxiety response. I kind of think of, I don't know if this is technically accurate, but I think mm-hmm. of anxiety as fear that keeps going and keeps going and doesn't solve itself in one way or the other Mm -hmm. and then you start to continue to worry and it starts off an even worse chain of events in my mind where you can start breathing very fast and having what is classically deemed a panic attack sure sure and uh we'll get to that but that's what happened to me up on this mountain in yosemite and uh
1: uh, and so i don't know is that a pretty good explanation or that that's that's a one that's a great that's a great explanation because sounds like what you're saying is there is this uncontrollable sort of like inner pathway to fear that is sort of beyond our you know the the intellectual uh and the the fo- the, the front of our brain which controls the here and the now and the you know h- here i am my consciousness uh if i had a choice colin i wouldn't want to be afraid of the dark if i had a choice um i would want to be without fear walking down a dark alley in a a big city at night because I'd be able to be more aware. I'd be calm. I'd be able to, I feel like I'd be able to control myself in case something bad did happen, but Mm -hmm. yet fear makes us like tremor, sweat, our heart rate goes up. I'm sure my blood pressure goes up. And, you know, like you said, heightened awareness, a state of arousal where you're like ready to fight or flight, uh, which basically is telling me that, it's kind of like priming the engine to you know really rev fast if i have to which is probably a good thing right evolutionarily because you, oh, know, yeah. you believe in that and you believe in darwin we were selected out uh from a species standpoint because we the, the we continue to make appropriate decisions to prolong our life you know and and you're right so like if our ancestors his, our prehistoric ancestors were just trying to evade a a tiger eating them or falling down a, a you know a crater they at night they were that's when predators would prey, So the night tends to bother us. I was reading something about how people are like afraid of snakes to this day that have never seen a snake in their life because of this like intrinsic fear that's been built into humanity because when snakes were very, you know, proximal to us and and they were, they lived around us and we could easily just walk and you know, and you've been to places where you're hiking, Colin, where you were, you know, snakes were uh, something you had to worry about. Yeah. And, you know, but like, you take, I, I was reading this article. Where it says you take a baby who's never seen a snake, and at five years old, you show them a snake. They get this fear. Like, how would they know what a snake is? But it's like this genetic, this built-in thing to the human, you know, genome. At any rate, so that, so that, that, that's that's kind of where we we get to this concept because it's the, the 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 fear that you experienced on this trip that we're going to talk about, and is this a fear that? when you think about your top 10 fears or your top, let's get your top three fears in life, top five fears, was mm-hmm. this at all on the radar, whatever happened? No. So what no. are you, if you don't mind me asking, you know, for what you're comfortable talking about, what are your top five fears? Oh, generically.
0: That's a, that's a tough question. Cause I mean, if you mean like right now versus like long-term, I mean, I, I for me, I'm strangely afraid of roaches. Really? <laughs> like, don't know why. Like, like, a rat can come and wrap right to my leg and I won't yeah. even flinch. Yeah. And then I I'll see a roach across the room and I'm like jumping really? up. On, I want to jump up on the table, but I don't want to be made fun of, so I don't. But uh but I want to
1: <laughs> <laughs> just I never would have yeah. thought that. The yeah, electric, roaches. I don't know. It's the only why, why do you think that is? Like, if, like, it, you know, I don't know. Maybe
0: there was back in evolution. I mean, I don't know. Was there some type of plague that was brought that on by? Be, yeah. I, I've heard that people yeah. have a fear of beetles, and there must be something, you know, some type of that might be it. You might be right, or some yeah. type of parasite that came from beetles sure. or roaches or something, right, right? Right? Uh, or maybe it's what roaches represent, you know, which is decaying something, decaying or, yeah.
1: you yeah. know, uh, infestation, infestation I don't know. disease, yeah, pestilence, yeah. yeah but other but other
0: bugs i i don't yeah i don't get to so anyway that's one um i would say a
1: long term like i have a fear of going blind For, interesting know, that, yeah I mean, so it seems like an appropriate fear interesting that sense mm-hmm. in in particular i guess it makes sense like if i had to uh pick one sensory input that i would not want to lose it would be yeah my vision can i can not imagine
0: because we've all played the evil dictator game, right? As kids, like, okay, you have to lose
1: either your oh, like, that's yeah, evil yeah.
0: dictator is going to take away your hearing <laughs> or your sight or somebody, or somebody, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Well, that's a couple. I, I don't know if I want. I don't know. I'd have to think about the other three. But what about
1: you? Give me some. Uh, so you know, just being bi- in the spheres. being in the business, uh, the the med business. I'd say like getting a the terminal diagnosis and knowing that. You know, I guess less less worried about like the suffering, but more knowing that like being aware that my timeline is notably shorter, and I'm aware of how short it's going to be. You know what I mean? So mm. like, yeah, that uh, I'd say. Um, you know, a, a fear of anything happening to the kids um, as a, a big second one. Um, even though, like it it it, I, and I've read this. Like we were looking at the top ten fears of, in America from like the last decade, we were most recently talking about 2021 and 2018. And one that pops up on both of those is one of mine is, you know, not being able to financially fulfill my life or financially, you know, take care of myself and my family in life, which, you know, it, it's logically it doesn't, it, it's not something that would happen, but it, it's a fear because it just, it leads down back to the pain and suffering pathway. So I you, you march down that, well, why are you afraid? Deepak, our buddy, always kind of says and raises his kids in this way. And he says, Okay, well, why are you afraid of that? Let's march down and break it down. So it it comes down to a a fear of suffering and pain and um, inability to control something. Uh, He had a great one. Mm -hmm. He said, uh, You know, Raj, I don't just tell my kids, Okay, you know, you you don't need a night light at night. Why are you afraid of the dark in the first place? What is it? What is the worst thing that's going to happen? And you used to say this. You said, Raj, what is the worst thing that's going to happen? I bet you it's not going to happen. There's not a possibility it's going to happen, yet you still can potentially dwell over that fear, right? We talked about that in the past. So yeah, those are those are like my top two or three. Um, but interesting. So this this fear of what happened on the mountain was not on your radar. So take us through first what tell me about the trip in brief, how you planned it, where you went. Right. And then let's walk, let's walk through the hike.
0: So uh Deepak and I went on this trip. This was our kind of guys trip of the year, and uh, we Yosemite's in California, so we it's this national park, and of course it's you know I don't know how many thousands of acres, very mm-hmm. mountainous region, and so we went out there and we stayed in kind of a lodge uh, area for um, five days. Okay. five nights and so the first night we went the first day we planned a hike with a guide because neither of us did a great job of researching beforehand different <laughs> hikes because there's tons of different hikes you can do there
1: oh it's not just and,
0: one oh yeah yeah okay, tons. okay, okay. that's okay. famously that's where el cap el capitan is the uh, big rock climbing thing that uh the guy the, climbed the without solo ropes. free
1: solo guy free
0: solo oh yeah insane but right. anyway uh insanely amazing i should say insanely. but anyway uh yeah we go there and the first day we did a, we got a guide um, so that we could pick this guy's brain for what we should do the rest of the day. So the first time we did the first day, we did like about a 20 mile uh, hike up. uh, I don't know how many, maybe a couple thousand feet we Mm -hmm. went up um, and down. And then um, he told us about this called high, uh, high Sierra hike, which is up to Mount Hoffman. So you drive up further into the uh, Yosemite Valley mm-hmm. and you go higher and higher. And then you climb this mountain called Mount Hoffman. And it's like the highest point of the Yosemite Valley. Okay. And, uh and you get a 360 degree view over the whole thing. And of course he's a professional guy and he was like, yeah, some of the end is kind of, it's a little boulder scramble at the right at the end, but it's a, I think you guys will be fine doing this hike. It's not an official trail, but you can kind of tell where to go. Mm-hmm. So we're like, "Okay, let's do that." So the next day we woke up and we uh drove uh to the trailhead and first you go to this lake, this beautiful lake called May May Lake and the hike there isn't bad. It's about a mile or two. And then you start going up towards this Mount Hoffman. And it's a it's kind of a strenuous hike. It's only about I think the whole round trip was like six miles, so it's not that it's very far. But you're going up. I think it was two thousand feet of elevation, and also it's a lot higher than the rest of the park. So the altitude kind of we're not used to high altitude, right? So mm-hmm. it's kind of getting to us. We're around somewhere around ten thousand feet. It ends at about ten thousand six hundred or eight hundred. I can't I can't remember feet high, but anyway. As we get to the end of this, this quote unquote, boulder scramble, first of all, we're the only people we see. So we don't know, like, and it's not an official hike and there's mm-hmm. no, like, you can't tell exactly where to go. Um, And we're trying to remember what the guide had told us the day before, but we couldn't really remember. <laughs> and so like, we're like, okay. And as you get to the, towards the top, it gets a little sketchy. Like you're mm-hmm. climbing these rocks and, and, and you're like, okay, I hope I'm going the right way. And we see the summit and you can tell the summit cause there's actually like a little antenna up there. Okay. And so, uh, and at this point we're well above 10,000 feet and, uh, and we're scrambling up these rocks and I'm kind of right in front of Deepak. He's kind of coming behind me. He's a much better climber than I am. I, I will say. And, uh, and so I get to this point and he's
1: like, just go up to the left. And so I scram, it's very steep rock and I, there's like how nothing steep, for me. How steep are to we hold. talking about? Give us some kind of like, cause I'm thinking so far know. you're just walking up. A, it's not uh, like
0: free solo steep, but it's, I mean, you're, you're leaning against the rock, but not very far. It's like 45 I don't know degrees.
1: To, that sounds like a 45 degree.
0: I mean, basically like you could fall straight down. Like You're
1: going to fall far.
0: Like you're going to, you're going to actual fall if you.
1: Is this a like, – this this like when we – for reference for me, when we went to Grand Canyon, the, the, the path was very formal. It was very well laid out. Yeah, there's nothing – it's nothing like that. It's nothing. There's so no – Okay,
0: it's not like there, that. There were places before where people had stacked rocks on each other, so okay. you can kind of say, go there. But at this point, we had lost all that. I think – so we were actually, come to find out, kind of too far over to the right. Okay. um And so we didn't
1: – we were just kind of making it up because we – and there's no one else – to show us like there was no one else there. And you said this yeah. was a less traveled path, like per the guide. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Cause most of Yosemite is further down. I mean, you have to drive just to get to the trailhead. You got to drive. I think we drove like an hour or so just to get to the trailhead. So it's not a super,
1: uh, Populated area and not, and just you said something that was interesting. You said that you were already at ten thousand feet. So like when you yeah. get to Yosemite, did you drive up that elevation? Well, when
0: we drove up, I think it starts at um, around eight ah, thousand. that makes sense. Okay, and so we we'd already climbed quite a bit. Okay, and and this the end is where this quote unquote boulder scramble is, which yeah. is really just free climbing. I don't know how to. Wow. it's I mean you're scrambling. So I don't have any rock climbing experience, by the way. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are already out there calling me names, you know, whatever, uh, as being scared of this. But I start (laughs) to get up and I'm not, I'm a little bit scared of heights and I am in general a little bit compared to Deepak Mm -hmm. risk averse. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so he's like, just go up this. And so I start climbing and I realize that I am solely dependent on my feet. My shoes okay. to hold me onto this rock because there's nothing I can grab onto with my hands. There's it's it's too slick, and so there's nothing. There's no ledge, and I look over and maybe about uh, five feet to the left. There's a little ledge that a rock that out just that I can step on. It's uh-huh. you know it's about six inches wide or maybe eight inches wide, uh-huh. and so I'm like I'm just got to make it to that. So I make it to that. And right before I step on that ledge, I look down, which was a stupid mistake. Cause I look down and I see just, I don't know, at least a hundred foot drop from there. And it's straight down. And I start to, and then I look and like further to go up the rest of the way looks even worse than what i just done. Like there's nothing to hold on to. And I start to have a full blown panic attack. And
1: right, I, so let's, tell me, so right there. You yeah. are, you know, cause pretty, I look you're down. You're essentially, so you were essentially cruising a little bit. You're like cruising along this eight inch ledge, knowing that this is not a formal pathway and that you kind of got yourselves into something that was not something you anticipated. If I were to pause and take you rewind 24 hours and say, Colin, this is the scenario you'd be in knowing how treacherous it was. Would you have done it knowing the risk? Uh, Without yeah, Deepak yeah. coaxing you, because you know he'd be like, "Ah, oh, come on, let's do it." Yeah. anyway. would I have done it
0: by myself? Absolutely not. Like I can tell you that. Yeah. Uh, I think I would have. I think I would have tried. I think by myself, I wouldn't have got this far. I, I see what you're saying, though. Would I have done it knowing that I? First of all, I would have paid attention to our guide uh-huh. the day before. More. Uh-huh. Uh, and
1: second of all, I think I still would have done it. Yeah, I think I would. I okay. still would have. Att- yeah, so, indeed. so here you are, and you're essentially kind of not quite upright, but leaning. Gravity is kind of leaning you forward just a little bit. Your feet are your only buttress to keep you upright, and yeah. you're sort of cruising like a baby does along a sofa, but like along this this rocky terrain. Yeah. And now you make the mistake of looking down, which is yeah, instinctive, right? That's just okay, yeah. instinctive. And you see something that makes you aware of how much riskier and scarier exactly. You can. And yeah. So I happens? was like, it's like all of a sudden you see, you start to see like, okay,
0: if I fall down there, like I might not die, but I'm screwed up. Like, cause I'm going to bounce on rocks and I'm going to fall pretty far. Um, I don't know if it was a hundred feet, you know, sometimes when I tell the story, it's 50 feet, sometimes it's 40. And I, I've tried to get a picture. I actually think it was closer to a hundred now that I actually started to mm-hmm. do some calculations in my mind. But, um, and and so then I I turn around with my back against the wall uh, against the mm-hmm. the mountain and with my feet on this ledge and I'm just looking down and I had to close my eyes cuz I was like I can't look and mm-hmm. I was hyperventilating
1: So yeah take us to the physical what's the physical My hands there?
0: are all sweaty my uh-huh. heart's racing uh-huh. I'm hyperventilating I started to get like a vertigo sensation because uh-huh. I had looked down
1: uh-huh. Yeah yeah
0: the uh, you know and I start to get worried that, you know, so then I start catastrophizing. I'm like, you're going to pass out. You're going to, you're going to pass out. You're going to fall down this. You're going to, I don't think it was so interesting. I didn't worry about dying as much as like
1: breaking a bunch of bones and then I couldn't work. And then you're, you're never going to be able is, to work again. It's really interesting that, yeah, because probably the the fundamental thing that probably could have res- reasonably happened is you break your neck or you concuss your head or you bleed in your brain or something like that. Right. I mean, hundred feet is no slouch for a human body amongst jagged rocks but you were thinking about disability and not be able to provide yeah food. hey there's that fear of financially destitute
0: <laughs> meanwhile deepak is like all right man what's going on with your head you're fine where is you're he fine. relation to you though he at this point he's like still behind me because he's he's waiting on me to move so that he can move
1: mm-hmm.
0: and he's like you just got to go for it. i'm like no man i'm done i just said i'm done i'm gonna sit here And I was worried about going back. I was going to say, I was like, well, I knew that I was going to have to go back, but I was like, I knew that he wanted to summit and Uh this was going to be no big deal to him. Uh, So I was just like, I'm done. I was like, this is far enough because in my mind, I was like, it's going to get even worse. Like this, we're not, I'm not even at the top yet. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's only going to get worse, you Mm -hmm. know, and it looked like it was only going to get worse, like Mm -hmm. harder than what I'd just done. So I, uh, I was like, "I'm, I'm done. I was like 90% of the way or 95% of the way is good enough for me. And so Deepak was being very nice. He didn't like try to push me. I mean, he tried to be like, I think you can do it. And then I was like, nope,
1: I am done. And and just to be clear, he was not having any of these physical reactions. No. And just to also be clear, your plan was to uh, resolve the physical reaction as much as possible, take a breather, and then slowly make your way backwards to go home. Okay, got it, got it. And I knew that I didn't have to like
0: getting down wasn't gonna be hard except for the part that I had just done. Like got it. Okay. And so um
1: so we so have a decision to make here.
0: Yeah. So like then it. I just I started off with just trying to I did some like breathing exercises to get out of the panic state. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um and that works pretty well, by the way. I've I've never actually had a full blown panic attack like this, so I, I've told patients to do this, but I've never actually done it. And I did it, and it, it worked. You know, the breathe in for, breathe out for, a, s- a slow count of four through purse lips, mm-hmm. um, to stop kind of the hyperventilating. Mm-hmm. And then the panic went away, but the fear didn't. And so I was still like, okay, I'm done. Depak passes me up. He goes summits.
1: How do you, He's being how does really Deepak, nice. How does he pass you up? How does he get around you? Uh, I don't remember exactly. I think he just went um, a little bit higher. He's like a spider over. monkey, by the way. If, if, Dude, for those he, who will never meet him, he's a yeah. spider. He's a tall, athletic spider monkey. Yeah, he's a spider. He's more than a m- monkey. He's a spider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh,
0: so he and I watch him, and he, and I can hear him going like, "Oh man, this is really sketchy." As he's going up, and Not I, so that out. just yeah. solidifies. Yeah, I'm like, that just solidifies like I'm I'm done. And he summits. And he's like, you know, I can hear him like cheering and so he and summits like, that
1: much quickly after he ascends beyond you. I mean, this was
0: a few minutes. I mean, okay. we weren't that
1: far from so Detroit. you were really close um, so to the end, is what you're saying. I could see the summit. Oh, yeah, gotcha. I can okay. see it.
0: Okay, okay. And uh, and uh and when I zoomed in fully on my iPhone, I actually could get a picture of him on the summit, like with his arms up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from where, from this little ledge that I'm just stuck on. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in fact, I've had, my legs are starting to go numb. So I'm trying to like lean over on the ledge, like one way or the other. Wow. wow. And, uh, I'm just, you know, and at this point the humiliation kind of sets in or like the, the other side of the speech of like, I'm done. It was like, no, man, you gotta get, you gotta go. You gotta keep going. You gotta keep going. But I was like, no, nope, I'm done. So Deepak, some is, he stays up there for a few minutes and he comes back down and, uh, and he's being really nice. he doesn't say any, you know, really much anything. And so then we go back down and I get back down the part that I had just come up and I realized like, that wasn't that bad getting down, uh, as bad as I thought. Uh, cause that was one of the things I kept thinking is like, I'm going to go up and I'm not gonna be able to get back down.
1: Mm-hmm. Like I'm
0: mm-hmm. not gonna be able to get so I get down this part and I just like, I was just like, hold on, man. Uh, and this is, I mean, really, I still say, if Deepak hadn't been there, I, I wouldn't have done it. And he would already done it. So I have all this benefit. Mm-hmm. And he's being super nice. He's like, look, man, once I got up there, I realized we kind of went the wrong way. Um, and if we had just gone over the left more, it's a lot easier. But he was like, but it's really the rest of the way is no worse than this part that, we just, that you just did. It's no worse. So I was like... And I said something corny, you know. I was like, "I'm not going to let this mountain beat me." Something ridiculous, that, like if you saw it in a movie, you'd instantly turn the movie off. You, like, as okay, the worst writing. I'm ever. not
1: leaving here without my daughter. <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 something like that. And uh, and and then he was like, "All right, well, let's go back. And This time, you just follow me and don't look down." And so that's what we did. Like I just basically was watching him and where he'd place his hands or his feet. And I just didn't look down and I made it to the summit mm-hmm. and it was the most exhilarating experience. I The summit itself was, by the way, anyone that ever goes to Yosemite, I highly recommend Mount Hoffman because it is one of the greatest views I've ever seen. It's 360 degrees. I highest saw some point of Yeah, all it was Yosemite. awesome. And
1: there were some people up there with you, no?
0: Yeah. So then I saw as them. we're up there, yeah. we see, because we had started pretty early. So we yeah. see other people hiking up. And of course, they just go to the left and it's super like it's so easy comparatively and it's like i88 just, it's like a cr- had little just highway we the wrong way cuz we didn't <laughs> listen to this guide uh, the day before
1: and uh
0: yeah it's there's actually like we came down that way and there's like footholds like where you can just like put your it's not nearly as
1: steep and there's Isn't place it's funny it, you know, robert frost coined this he says two roads diversion in a yellow wood and it's an untraveled path that made all the difference to you. You had texted me um, as we were discussing this in the following days. You said something along the lines of, and you brought it up a little bit here, that I looked at the ability to for me to summit and 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 not accomplish that. And for one year, I would have a regret of, I, I had to balance it against what I knew my, about myself for one year of having a regret that I didn't finish this and thinking about that every day.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I'm really glad that I made the decision to start questioning because as soon as I started questioning Deepak about the rest of the way, as we were mm-hmm. going down, um, he knew that I was having, he was like, he, cause he immediately said, I'll turn around and go again if you want. And that was really all I needed. Um, because we had gone down a little bit before I just, because I was just like, this is going to set me back mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, that I didn't, that I went 95% of the way and didn't finish. Um, and at this point, by the way, we still hadn't seen the other people, the, the other people were, we were just able to see them down below as coming up. And I was like, now this is going to, I actually thought, I was like, this is going to set me back. Cause this was our yearly trip. Right. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to be mentally defeated. And I don't like the repercussions of that. Yeah. So I actually was, this is this is how weird my brain is i was weighing the repercussions of a potential injury with the against stopping something that i think that i could probably do if it wasn't for the fear you know um because you know one thing i was worried about was having that paralyzing you know sensation again and uh so that's why it was a I'm actually glad that that happened because it allowed me to feel what it's like to overcome that. And uh, um, yeah, anyway, I thought it was really, it was just from a looking at what happened with yeah. the panic attack. It was pretty interesting. I thought, but
1: when, when you talk about panic attacks and, you know, certainly you're absolutely right. We treat them. People routinely will come to the department with panic attacks. The, um, the panic attack that you had, was definitely grounded in a in a very tangible proximal fear mm-hmm. and, and because meaning if you slipped you would have gotten killed or seriously injured yourself or become disabled and, and really suffered physically so when people you know unfortunately have a panic attack and you know us as docs treat people with panic attacks uh we a, as the treating team the nurses the docs the technicians we're in a position where like our feet are on the ground and there's nothing near us. That's going to hurt our patient or us. So sometimes we have to take a moment and and say, okay, well, this person's in a mental panic attack. There is something that they think is going to kill them. It's obvious to us that there isn't anything, Mm -hmm. but the autonomic nervous system, the, the cascade of epinephrine, norepinephrine and serotonin in their brain has rendered them essentially ineffective at fixing that feeling. So if I were to say, Colin, uh, you're sitting on your couch one day, just chilling, watching some Netflix, and all of a sudden I induce the same panic you had going up Mount Hoffman. That would debilitate you to the point where you'd probably go to the emergency room, no? Right. Yeah. going I mean, you're gonna and, think something's really wrong. And, and uh, the, the, what, what do people know that's common that could do this? Heart attack, stroke. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm having I, 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 something. A blood I'm about, clot. Blood clot. I'm about to pass out. And once I pass out, I'll never wake up. Um, mm-hmm. Everything you experience, I've heard vertigo. My, my legs going numb. Uh, I feel like I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to pass out. Uh, my heart's racing. I just, you know, a sense of doom. I'm sure you were, su- you said sweating that the world was closing in. You got maybe a tunnel vision, yeah, you get tunnel vision. hyperventilation, which means that there's got to be a blood clot or a lung problem or a heart problem. It's so interesting and fascinating that you, the doctor felt all of the, like you said, the f- first time in your life, you felt all of the manifestations of the death, Reaction, people's what they, but they think they they should feel in death in the dying process. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It confirmed what I, uh, what I've told patients, you know, that say someone comes in, we think they're like, I have a history of, of anxiety or yeah. panic attacks, but mm-hmm. I'm worried that I'm having a, a heart attack right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you still do the workup, right? A lot of times, or at least the first couple, you know, you do the workup. And then they're not having any heart problems, right? Mm-hmm. Their EKG is fine. Their labs are all fine. And, and when you tell them that, sometimes uh, t- maybe someone has inappropriately told me, he goes, so what you're saying is this is all in my head. And I always say, no, that's not what I'm saying. This is not in your head. This is a misfiring of your nervous system. There's not Your symptoms are extremely real. They are the same symptoms you would have if you had a fear, if you were on a ledge or running from a bear or something like that. But if they're at an inappropriate time, and but your symptoms are not in your head; they're very real. They're very much based on hormone release. Mm -hmm. They're very they're physiologic, you know. And and sometimes when I tell patients that, right? You, I'm sure you do the same thing, right? What they almost get like a sense of like, oh okay this is something actual tangible that i can learn to deal with and not just like well it's in my head yeah. i mean
1: uh anyway i don't know what you think about that no and it, it it's perfect cuz it leads me to my the, my opportunity to tether up that which is you said that the you know you you counsel your patients saying no this is very real it's it's your it's a firing of chemicals that are real that we could if we could extract them with a needle from your brain and put them under a microscope or in a, you know, some kind of electronic device, we would Mm -hmm. measure the quantities of these. And it's the same darn pathway, the autonomic nervous system, that is what is used when someone's having a fight or flight when they're having a heart attack. And they come in and they'll be sweaty and narrow vision and they'll feel like they're going to pass out. Even though some of that stuff isn't because of the heart attack itself, it's the anxiety response to the heart attack. And it's, it, it just reminds us all that these things use the same pathways. So why mm-hmm. do you get the workup in the first place if you know, as a doc, it's a panic attack that's, that's because of non-life-threatening things? Because they use the same darn pathways and you can't miss that one that's actually real. Mm-hmm. And so you have to do it. And, so, and, and, and maybe like you do as well, I'll give these patients, whether they're having a life threat like a heart attack stroke or something like that, I'll just give them a teensy bit of lorazepam just to take the anxiety response because it does two things for me as a doctor. One, it helps treat my patient from the anxiety and panic about this potential life threat. And if we realize it wasn't a life threat, it helped them anyway. But if we realize it's a life threat, anxiety and panic does not help a heart attack heal or Mm -hmm. the evolution of a heart attack. In fact, studies show that it worsens it. So we're trying to give people a little, what's called anxiolysis, just to calm that and blunt that fight or flight so that their heart isn't overworked by the epinephrine they're producing, the norepinephrine that they're producing. And so it's really interesting that they can, and so it's rewarding, I bet, for your patients, Colin, as I'm sure it is for mine, to say to them, look, no, uh, you're not quote unquote crazy. You had some misfiring. And so now the question becomes, well, why did it misfire in the first place? Well, that's for other doctors and other professionals. Yeah, that's I'm a whole other topic. Sure. But it's it's validating to say, no, uh, I was on a ledge and I had these same darn chemicals released from my you know, amygdala, hypothalamus, they pulled in from my sensory cortex, my memories of like why I, I'm afraid of like, you know, injuring myself and becoming disabled as a provider. And, you know, I thought about my mom and my dad and my wife and leaving them without, you know, a loved one. All of those things intermingled and forced then your body to have a physical reaction. Uh, and man, if you look at these top 10 lists of Americans and what their fears are, mm-hmm. some of these people have these reactions to, you know, things like, uh, loved ones dying, mass shootings, terrorism, just reading from the list, government corruption, becoming terminally ill. So they, they have these real reactions to this. Um, and all those topics just make me think of the news. Like every time yeah, you turn on the news, it's yes. all those things. Tell me it's about like that. nonstop. You know, I don't know. I'm just kind of. So you, you, you bring know. up a great point. So the statistical probability of you or a loved one dying in a car just going to any routine destination is by far and away greater than the following. Um, a terrorist attack on the United States, uh, truly unrevealing government corruption that is so obvious and provable. Uh, you personally experiencing uh, an abduction by, you know, somebody in a black mask. Now that isn't to say that we're sitting here as pundits trying to tell you, ah, don't need to fear any of that. That's not the reality I'm trying to say is the reality is that we are transposing our fears statistically into things that are just sort of innately more fearful for us. For instance, for me, I get, you know, in this climate, sometimes I get worried. I'm like, you know, I tell my kids, you know, be careful when you're out with friends, you make sure, you know, because I'm worried. What's the worst fear? Someone's going to come, you know, abduct them. Someone's they're going to fight. A stranger is going to do something. But the reality is the more important thing that I need to be aware of is driving safe and putting, making sure there's seatbelts on and, um, you know, paying attention to the road because that's way more likely to cause them profound harm, um, than anything else that I would be afraid of. Right. A terrorist attack did occur. Absolutely. In 2001. Uh, the thing is though, the chance of that happening again, though, it's always a possibility is profoundly smaller than, um, you know, something that's more tangible in your world, Mm -hmm. like just slipping in your bathroom. Uh, we see these injuries all the time, and when you look at the bad outcomes of a person slipping and falling, hitting their head, bleeding in their brain, that's a big deal. But no one ever feared that waking up in the morning. Yeah, right? they feared, oh, if I lose my job, if it, uh, if man, I'm I'm watching the news, and like you said, certain things, certain sensory inputs. We'll just leave it at that. Tend to promote fear, or whatever secondary gain for that, you know that entity. So it, it's an opportunity to maybe back off a little bit of things that do promote fear um, or have some type of exercise like you did that can get you out of that loop.
0: Yeah. I want to talk, I'm going to, I think first I want to hear a Raj story but Okay. Then, because our listeners love the Raj stories. I mean, that's one thing we keep hearing, but also um, I do at, at some point later on, want to talk about at least my own personal things that I think of, of how to overcome certain fears, yep. anxieties, yep. or a panic attack. Uh, and just kind of give the listeners an overview of just what I attempt to do. Um, and sometimes what I tell patients, depending on what they're there for, but um, let's hear a, so I, hear a Raj story.
1: I think, I think we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll um, marry this to a, a, a clinical case. Cause I, I think we decided we're going to try to get a clinical case on every episode mm-hmm. So I was thinking about this before we were doing the episode. And one that struck me is certainly one that was when I was uh, working out of state moonlighting. Uh, and it was one of my first airways that I had to manage on my own. And so this, when I, when I say that, that means that when the illness gets bad enough for an individual, you got to put them on life support. Life support means you put a tube in their airway, you put them on a machine that robotically breathes for them. This elderly guy for reasons I can't quite remember, came in and I believe it was something along the lines of like COPD and he started just tiring out. He used up all of his energy. And now because how tight the lungs got, I had to put a tube in and put them on the machine. I had my um, physician assistant next to me, really well experienced guy, good guy, uh, great nursing staff. We go in, we take a look. And this was back before I had proficiency calling with the glide scope, which is the uh, the fiber optic blade that has made things like uh, almost stupid easy at times <laughs> technology when yeah. you know how to use it it, it, it and, and we're like the nintendo generation so we we are good with like you know joysticks and video and and, and 3d 3d spacing and all that stuff so i was using this old school device called a ringoscope and i was not able to see the path that the tube had to go and you know, when you give the patient those medications right before you're about to do this, they do a couple things. They sedate the patient so they don't have to suffer through this actually really painful procedure and scary procedure to put them on life support. And three, it paralyzes them. So it it drops all of their ability to breathe on their own. They're just like jellyfish laying on a cart. They can't do anything. So if I can't get that airway, uh I that patient's in dire straits, uh, because basically mm-hmm. they can't breathe on their own. And I have to start doing a much less effective thing called putting a bag on their and a mask on their face and you know squeezing that back. So at any rate, couldn't see it. And so going into it, I had some confidence and I had started thinking that I'm not seeing this. So, and I'm looking at the vital signs because the, the monitor is usually just to the right of my head and the nurses are just kind of waiting for my next di- input and direction. And I'm realizing that as ox- oxygen is going down lower and lower, and there's a point where it slowly goes down and then it falls off a cliff right around like 70%. And so we're getting to that cliff, but we haven't fallen off the cliff yet. And I'm thinking, I am not logically able to figure out how I'm going to get a look at this. And I'm trying to position the head. I'm trying to put my hand under the neck. I'm mm. trying to shift him. And I'm realizing a couple of things are happening at the same time. I am spinning my wheels. My heart rate's going up. I'm getting sweaty. My hand's starting to tremble and shake. There's no backup for me. There's no other doctor in proximity, like in a much bigger institution. This was a smaller hospital. And um, I realized that I am not going to be able to get it. If I am not going to be able to get on the first pass, the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to back this blade out of his mouth and put that mask on and bag him. But then I'm thinking already to the next step. Well, if I couldn't see it the first time, now I'm scared and nervous. And I've failed, and my confidence is eroded. How am mm-hmm. I going to get it the second time? So then I'm thinking about this something, this concept called a surgical airway, which is where you basically over the Adam's apple on a gentleman, and not in in a similar area on a woman. You you surgically cut open the trachea, the airway, and then you mm-hmm. take tweezers and and uh, spreaders and you jam the tube in there. And that's something that I think I've done. No, I know I've done three times in my life. Um, And two were people that were, one was a cadaver. One was a person that was essentially already dead in the ICU. When I was early on in training, I was just doing a a heroic procedure. Another time was an effective one on somebody who was dying anyway, sadly. um, And, but we were able to get it, me and another doc. This was not a, this was, you know, interposed between those who I did not have great confidence in that second procedure. And so I was having to mitigate a lot of fear. And I, I saw then that my colleague, the physician assistant picked up on this and he's, and I was, I don't know, I was in my early thirties and he was, he's a guy in his fifties. So regardless of what happened, I, as I've thought a lot about this, regardless of what happens in terms of what someone experiences professionally, experientially, when you've lived 20 more years than somebody else, sometimes you just have life experience that you can help somebody out in a bad rut. Um, mm-hmm. He started doing something for me that was really helpful. He spoke in a very calm, lower voice, and he just basically, almost like, in like a, a verbal, non-musical lullaby, said, "Raj, you got this. It's okay. All right, you're gonna bag him. You're gonna take another look in there. You're gonna see it this time, right here. We'll position him. We'll get it in." And he kept enforcing words of confidence that we are Ooh. gonna get this done. We are gonna do this. The bagging's getting him up. We're bagging him. We're bagging him. The oxygen's coming up. And, but the action wasn't coming up great. It was just in the 80, 81, 82. So I'm really close to that cliff. Usually I'd love it when we start at 99, hundred percent, but we were not there. And plus he's already sick, right? So he's already having a respiratory problem. So we went, I went in that second time and just tethering on to nothing other than his words and just kind of taking that second look, my hand was a little bit more steady. And I think serendipitously, luckily I was able to get a Good look at the vocal cords, which is a uh, a landmark, and pass that mm-hmm. that tube, and everything turned out okay. Though he did drop really low to the point where we were about to start CPR. It's interesting, right after the tube went in, he was resuscitated, meaning no no nothing bad happened. He did great from for that procedure standpoint. I almost kind of like was ready to pass out, like all of the adrenaline that was sort of like you know. I was using his crutches to endure that procedure. It kind of like all just let out from underneath me. And um, I was just able to sit down and recover. But man, I tell you, that was a uh, a moment of professional fear in a very routine, you know, unexpectedly challenging airway that just reminded me how important it is to be able to control my fear be able to talk myself or count on somebody else to walk me out of that dark hole, that rabbit hole. So that I, cause at the end of the day, Colin, you had to get off that mountain up or down. And At the end of the day, I can't just like walk away, throwing my hands up with a guy who didn't have an airway that I just paralyzed. I got to get it done. You got to get it done. And uh, I, and that was the, that was the pathway at that time. Um, and it's, it's really uh, given me, a, it was great to experience it much like, your experience on the mountain because it is, it really back then, back in 2008 or 2009, taught me a lot about how do I walk into highly stressful procedures, how to, in particular, the airway, and how do I support myself pre procedure to not be in that situation in the first place, get my ducks in a row, so to speak. So that, that's it. That's that's the story Man, that came up. That's such a great story because.
0: <laughs> As you're telling that story, I felt like I was there and I know exactly what you're feeling. And first of all, I, I know that every single ER doctor, probably anesthesiologists, uh, you know, surgeons that do air if, if they do intubations, anyone that does intubations mm-hmm. knows exactly that situation mm-hmm. and has been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then I'm sure every single nurse and respiratory therapist has seen it. You know, every paramedic that intubates in the field Absolutely. knows that feeling. Uh, and it, man, it just takes you right there. And uh, I, I want to, that's a great segue into saying into what my kind of tips and tricks are, because you did one of them. And that and the first thing with mm-hmm. all of these is you have to realize that it's happening. That's very hard to do in the moment. You're worried about this airway. But what you recognize is that, oh, my hand is shaking, that, you know, I'm breathing fast. I'm, I'm getting ton- my heart rates going up. You have to recognize that that's happening so that you can adjust accordingly, right? Because you know that you needed to go either onto a second procedure or have somebody intervene in it with a calm voice. Thankfully, mm-hmm. uh, you said that was a nurse? It was uh, the physician was- assistant. Oh, the physician said that's right. That's right. Uh, was, uh, was there to kind of talk you down. Um, but you did recognize and probably that was also early in your career. Maybe you didn't recognize as quickly as you would now. Absolutely. Was it taught me
1: a lot. Yes. And, uh, yes, sir.
0: Um, and so I think that's the first thing. And what I would say is if you're having that sensation before the actual thing is occurring. So for instance, a lot of people, public speaking. so like they're about to go speak in front of other people, like in front of a crowd and like 10 minutes before they'll start to get these feelings. Right. Mm -hmm. But you're not there yet. You're not at the point yet. Or let's say you hear an ambulance coming in with a child that's unresponsive. Like what happens? Oh, you get, you get ramped up, you get scared. Right. The first thing I do when I have time and I know that this is happening, there's something coming up uh, like you said, a proximal fear that is arriving soon um, that I have to face is to reframe it and say, it's not fear, it's excitement. Because those two things are physiologically pretty much identical. That's true. That's very true. It, and I, I remember I learned this in a psychology class, and the psychology teacher in college mentioned this trick. Um, and it stuck with me because I was like, that's great. And I've used it since then. And that is that you reframe it. You say, wait, I'm not scared. I'm excited. And that just shift of the frame oftentimes just alleviates everything or it makes it almost enjoyable. I mean, I think, and then you could, the risk is you could become an adrenaline seeker, but if it's public speaking, you could really start to learn to love public speaking because you overcome that. And then you get that excitement and then you get that reward you get that dopamine rush and uh and so that's that's my kind of that's just one thing that i use I, I if i have the time i turn it from fear to excitement and uh and then if i if i and you have to realize that it's happening by the way you have to realize that you're scared or that you're having this um, this physiological response and then if i'm like I said, uh, if I'm having a panic attack, I always said this is what I would do, and this is what I did. I do deep breathing. It's a count four in, count four out. I tell this to patients the the count out, so one, two, three, four, I'd go much slower and then out. A lot of times you'll just blow it out. And so you right. have to purse your lips so that you can't just blow it out. And it takes you a, a slow four count to blow it out. And If you do that, don't just do it one or two times. If you do that for 10 minutes, you know, a lot of times. That reverses that physiologic, at least certain parts of that physiologic response. Um, those are two things that I do. I, I thought I had a third, but I
1: can't think of it right now. What about you? It, so, it, I mean, that that makes sense. And I, I want to elaborate on the second part of what you talked about because I, at times, I struggled with insomnia in my life, and one of the techniques is this. It's called this four six, four, six seven method, which is very similar, and it's basically where you. Take a deep breath in. You're you're sitting there tossing and turning. Okay, so you find a position, uh, a, a comfortable position in bed, and you start doing this. Take a deep breath for four seconds. Actually, think about one, two, three, four. Hold it for six seconds, thinking one, two, three, four, five, six, and then out seven seconds. But you you have to count the seven. So what is this doing? It's using your frontal lobe of your brain to entirely consume your thought process because in the panic process and the fear process. Your autonomic nervous system is just having you focus on the fear, the catastrophe, this loop. And so if you said, doc, how can I get out of the loop? I'm going to give you a cognitive exercise that's going to make you focus. So your your four and four method is perfect. It makes you focus on, and it's not just now that that's, that's mindless. You have to Mm -hmm. count because the counting is the actually more important part is that the mental exercise of one, two, so that you're doing a physical thing Mm -hmm. and a mental thing, and it. Breaks a loop. It breaks a loop. And why ten minutes? Because how many times have you tried it for like ten seconds? You're like, oh, I'm still nervous. I'm still anxious. It it takes that fatigue. You have to fatigue that loop sometimes and trick it. And so hopefully by the time you're ten minutes into this thing and you're doing this exercise, even if it's not completely gone, it's blunted to the point where you can now exert more awareness and more like consciousness to to control it. Um, So yeah. So I the the thing I I will do also. I I love those two that you mentioned. You mentioned reframe it. First, recognize, anticipate, and recognize the physical reactions happening. Because the sooner you do it, just like anything else, the sooner you treat pain, the better you're going to be able to control it. The sooner you treat anxiety and fear, the better you're going to be able to control it. Because once the chemicals become overwhelming, then you got to do all these other methods. Uh, Is take myself out of the physical environment where I started having to panic. For instance it's not unheard of that when I'm having challenged with a procedure where I have a little bit more time, I will literally say, guys, I'm going to pause for a second. I'm going to step out of that room, reframe myself outside the room, go back and finish it up. If I'm in a, uh, a fear situation where it's just panic, anxiety, something, I will leave the room that it started in. I might be in the family room sitting on the couch and I will go outside. I will go to another part of the house and I can't go outside. I will take a quick cruise. And what that does is it reframes my visual world and my audible sensory world so that whatever it started in presumably was a place where it got real hot and heavy. Now I'm out of that environment. Or if there's a place that's very typical for you to get anxious, you frequently get anxious when you're in your bedroom because it's at night when you're kind of like only lost in your thoughts. You got to get up and get out of that situation if you can. And that's a, that's an opportunity for you to reframe the sensory inputs in your world. So that that's the only other thing I would say is, that I, and, and again, we're not professionals at treating anxiety other than being emergency physicians, you know, treating a, acute anxiety episodes. However, we're also human beings that have, you know, created our own abilities to mitigate some of this stuff over the years. And that's what we're talking about. Um, yeah. What I try not to do, though,
0: and I like what you said, I'll step out of the room for a second if I have an opportunity, but you don't avoid. Yeah, that's a good point. You know? You don't avoid eventually going back in that room and doing the intubation. You don't, the next time an intubation comes in, give that to your colleague. Right. You know, you have to, because that doesn't lead to improvement. Uh, That, that doesn't, that doesn't make it better. It might temporarily make it better. At least to me. Like if I avoided, like, that's why you, I guess, you know, you asked a great question. Would I avoid going on that mountain if I knew that I had to, was going to have that? And now that now that I can see that question, no, no, that's not the right thing to do. Now does that mean I'm going to take an unnecessary risk and go, you know, try to free solo you know, El Cap? <laughs> right. No, right. But you know, you got to give the the situation its due respect. And I'm not saying, you know, I don't, I never like that term, no fear. Well, there are some things you should be scared of, and you're you supposed avoid. to be evolutionarily. But, but we these need to be types, afraid. but these types of things that are objectively not you know going to kill you Mm -hmm. public speaking you know doing your job as an er doctor certain things that are hard to do uh you know you can't avoid those right uh, right because it's just gonna it's just gonna put you to eventually you won't be leaving the house
1: you mentioned this can you talk
0: about fear extinction what is that well fear extinction is a way that uh so I think where we're almost, we're going towards is phobias, right? Mm-hmm. So like an irrational fear of something, mm-hmm. you know, like for me, probably roaches, like a good <laughs> way for, for probably me to extinguish my fear of roaches would be to uh, like, you know, not run, not run from them, uh, realize that, and just be continually exposed to them. Now, I don't want to do that.
1: Gosh, that sounds Joe. It wouldn't be like Joe Rogan where you put your head inside of. A- oh, like Fear <laughs> Factor. No, I'm not going on Fear Factor. Uh, but it, it, but it is that. It's like expose
0: yourself to these little fears. Yeah, uh, the dark is a perfect example. You're scared of the dark. The answer isn't to leave the lights on all the time, right? Yeah, it's right, to right. get
1: used to the fact that the dark is not going to hurt you. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. And there's and there's a uh, absolutely professional pathways for people with you know, legitimate fears that are mm. disabling, uh, you need someone who's a professional who knows what they're doing, uh, is experienced and educated on all the different like, uh, standard of care methods. And, and, and those are really easy to seek out. Uh, but from, for, from, for people that are just kind of, you know, speak just about us, things that we've done over the years is micro exposure, uh, you know, just a little bit at a time to just be able to mitigate that and um you know one of one of the things i'll keep doing is when i remember when i a, a mentor told me what's the what are the three top three four charts that you are most afraid of in the er and i said well fever and headache because i'm afraid of doing a lumbar puncture at the time i had very little experience doing lumbar punctures spinal taps and i i was afraid to pick the chart up because i said oh shoot this is likely i'll have to do that and then i'll fail at the procedure mm-hmm. and it takes a lot of time it's very time consuming the other one was uh, uh, women with pregnancy issues who had bleeding issues. Cause I was just like afraid of the whole concept of having to address. What if there's a loss of the child and that sort of, and, and that was a tough one to pick up. Um, and there's, was, there's was a couple other ones like uh, dizziness because there's such a broad sort of like pathway yeah. of how to diagnose it with really big risks if you get it wrong. So someone said, uh, uh, our, 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 our uh, friend in common Joe, he said, just keep picking up those as much as you can during residency because as an attending, you have to pick up everything equally, but in residency, take your time to just pick up those preferentially if you can and really extinguish the fear. So, and Mm -hmm. so now if you ask me now, if Joe were to ask me now, Hey, what do you think Raj? What are your top? I, I said, I have no chart that I'm afraid of. Thanks to that pathway. I, I extinguished any of it. Now there's really nothing. Cause now what I've done is I've done that. And I've walked into it. I can't just only pick up certain charts when I'm a solo provider at a, at a place. But now if there's a chart I'm a little nervous about, I'll, I'll reframe it saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> one, one thing is, worth, what's the, like you, you said, you'll say this. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? If I f- find I can't figure out what's going on, you phone a friend. Medicine is full of resources. And other people, we can, the system has provided us, other doctors, we can rely on a whole system that's always available to me. Um, and that that will never change. And so, and if, if if I can't figure something out, we'll figure out a safe situation for the patient, uh, whether you admit them to the hospital to get a specialist to see them, whether you transfer them to a bigger hospital, all in the best interest of the patient. So once I figured that concept out and just reminded myself of it, there's really nothing that is was going to change it and then i the, the the last part of it is if there's something that's imminently life threatening that's coming in that i i would be ner- anybody would be nervous about i i have to just remember that in this system that i practice in is as long as i am doing the best i can you know going uh, you know meeting the, the the standard of how we practice and doing the best thing in the best interest of the patient i can only do what i can do And, 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 and often for, you know, a lot of docs that's above and beyond your average doc. And so that's great. And so I can't control a bad outcome. Just like in life on that ledge, I was thinking about the thing that really put you in that tailwind or that downward spiral, I should say, was when you catastrophized by looking down, Mm -hmm. you, you couldn't change the outcome. If you did slip and fall that, that cascade of events, once that happened, that was out of your control. What you did have the control over was not starting the catastrophe thought process in the first place. So if there's something you can mitigate to avoid the fear catastrophe cascade, do it and do it early. So instead of me- Also, I realized
0: the true fear, the true thing that was scary was if I continue, I mean, because some people do hyperventilate to the point where they will almost pass out. out. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, so the real thing that is going that could get, get me here is not this mountain. It's my panic attack. Because oh, if I had yeah, passed, yeah. Out, if I kept hyperventilating, passed out, you know, then I'm. It's I'm, Isn't it ironic? I'm, I'm isn't falling.
1: It, it's ironic. Yeah. It, it it actually, was, it's, yeah.
0: Yes. But yeah. Uh, I love your, uh, I love that though. You know, um, your example of fear extinction is spot on.
1: Uh, well, listen, hey, this has been exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. Um, anything beyond this, I think we're going to bore our listeners to death with fear and, uh, you know. Yeah
0: how come you're scared though of uh menus that are not you know several pages long and like fresh fresh why are you so scared of somebody cooking for the that uh, is fresh for
1: for the new listeners one of the one of our favorite haunts for me and my family is the cheesecake factory and and cullen has decided that that's not you know
0: what are your favorite haunts? I'm pretty sure every time you
1: send me a picture of you out to
0: eat, you're at the. So cheesecake yeah, so the, yeah, we're at
1: the cheesecake factory It's good food, a uh, great selection, and uh, you know, it's I, it's. Just you expose I, your kids to the <laughs> so they're not. Fear extinction of, yeah, yeah. Some food that's not just injected with salt, though it may be frozen for weeks at a time before it's prepared, <laughs> it does taste delicious. All right, so uh, bookkeeping. Uh, thanks to everybody for the downloads, the feedback. Keep you know emailing us, uh, if you like us on all the electronic stuff, like youtube YouTubeish, whatever that is, and smash the like, hit the like, what smash the like, yeah. Uh, and also um, go to our website, uh, ERDocsCrucialTalks, Crucial Talks, and take a look at that stuff. We got some uh, content on there as well, and. If you have any ideas for show topics, we're going to be bringing in some uh, new guests, new topics, and anything you want to add, Colin. Oh, yeah, uh, uh, feedback. We love feedback. Feedback, unless it, unless it's like ridiculously negative, then keep that to yourself. Just keep that to yourself, uh, and don't forget, oh, Colin. Uh, the new yeah. episodes of Yellowstone are out. We'll have to discuss that after you. Watch oh then. yeah, yeah, buddy. Yeah, yeah. All right, man. Well, listen. All right, dude. Thanks for thanks for uh, hanging out, man. Uh, we'll we'll talk to you real soon. Thank you. All right, buddy. Bye, Bye brother. Uh,